There we go. All sorted. Thank you, guys. Appreciate that. Ah, it is good to be with everyone this morning. Um, man, I uh, the word the Lord kind of just set on my heart today is that he's just jealous for his glory. He is jealous for his glory. And I get so, so excited as I continue to hear about all the forward momentum with what's happening, uh, not just with happy days, but what is happening in every single one of your lives. Uh, and it is a truly, it's, it's a humbling privilege just to have a little uh, part to play in that. And, um, and so I, I really feel this morning as we continue to dive through uh, the book of Nehemiah that the Lord is highlighting specifically, again, his jealousy for his glory. Um, and, and I think it is timely because even as you guys, even as Gary's sitting here praying and giving all these announcements about happy days and what's unfolding there, is that that is a work, like this is a work of God. Like that's, this is a holy thing. And I think you all get that, but I think it's worth stating it again. Like this, this is, this ministry, this play center is an opportunity for people to encounter the glory of God. It, it, it is a, it is a, it is a holy work. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And um, even as we look, and, and I know Greg had Nehemiah chapter 10, I've got kind of looking at chapter 10, 11, and 12, I'm kind of doing a little overview thing today, that a lot of that was about organization, alignment of people, organization and alignment of finances to see the glory of God exalted and take front stage again in their lives. And I hear it even as we're, we're making funny sounds towards, you know, receipt machines and, and coffee machines. Like, this is actually what's going on in Nehemiah's time as we're going to get ready to look and see. But it's all unto God receiving glory. Because God's heart, first and foremost, has always been to be with his people. It's about proximity for God. And we don't have to go through the whole exegesis of the scripture. It's there. From the very beginning, God created us so that he could be with us. And if there's not anything special in it, but out of his own love for, for, for himself, out of his own glory and love, he wanted to share his glory with other people. So God's, God's story and God's heart is always to be amongst his people. When, when Jesus came, what was the, the passage that's in John chapter 1? Jesus came, he was incarnated, and he what? Dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the spirit of God himself, Jesus released the spirit to come and what? Dwell inside of this temple and we see in this beautiful picture at the end in, in Revelation that the dwelling place of God will be amongst men. Fully. And what a day that's going to be. Right? So this is the heart of God. This is the heart of God for, for the journey. This is the heart of God for, 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 for happy days. And as big as this is, it's just one more small piece. Of God's relentless pursuit of wanting to be with his people. And that's what I hope that today, that by the power and, and the grace of the Holy Spirit, that we can remind ourselves of and what that actually looks like. Um, and so, I want to draw our attention real quick. If you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 10. Nehemiah chapter 10. This whole pursuit from the very first chapter has, we, we've seen this progression. 
right? We've seen a city that was in dismay, a place that was in ruins, and where God was supposed to dwell, he was no longer dwelling, right? He was no longer manifesting his presence in that place. His people were in captivity, they returned, but God placed it on a few people's hearts that said, I want you to rebuild my city where I dwell. I want you to rebuild my temple where I can meet with my people, and where my people will then see their desire for me and come and reach out towards me. Because that's the pursuit. That's what this life is all about. God reaching down towards us and us responding and reaching back out towards him. If I can say it really simply. Right? And, and, and so we see God move. And God moved in people like Ezra. And, and, and he moved in people like uh, Zerubbabel. And he began to rebuild the temple. The place where God would meet with his people because God loves to dwell with his people. Is that encouraging anybody this morning? God loves to meet with you. He loves to dwell with you. And even, and we were praying about it this morning, the Lord laid it on my heart. It doesn't matter. It does matter. But it doesn't matter what happened this week. God still wants to dwell in your midst. It doesn't matter what's happened for the last several generations in your family line. God still wants to dwell with you this week, like right now. It doesn't matter if you turned your back on him last night. God's desire is to reach out towards you. Jesus said it as he prayed to his father. God, may these that I'm praying for, may these that are with me, may they see my glory. May they see you. May they always be with me. I'm paraphrasing. It was even in Jesus' heart. He wants to be with you. I just, again, I feel like that's, that, that might be the I'm done, sit down word for this morning. And that's what the Lord wants for every single person in this community. The 20,000 and more that's going to be walking through these doors. He wants to be with you no matter what you've done. He wants to meet with you today. And so that's what God was doing in, in, in Nehemiah. Nehemiah, go back, rebuild the walls and, and help get everything going again because I want to meet with my people. This is God's intention, God's heart. This isn't because the, the elders and the leaders of this church and Gary and others said, hey, I think it's a good idea to bring in happy days. I think it's a good idea to start a church in my living room. This is not their idea. This is God's movement first, reaching down to one man or a group of people, which is pretty much the story of history of how God works. And then when, it, when, when that one man or that group of people get a hold of God's heart, and they've touched his heart, and, and, and he's touched theirs. Then all of a sudden, it, it moves on from them to the rest of the people. And that's what we see with Nehemiah. God got a hold of Nehemiah. Nehemiah then got the vision going. He got everyone else together. And now what he's doing, now that the wall's been rebuilt, he's starting to say, now we got to get everybody into the proper place. We need to get people where they're supposed to be. Because when we get people where they're supposed to be, the glory of God comes. Because when people start touching the heart of God with their heart, then God shows up in crazy, powerful ways. Because it's not just about one man. It's not just about the leader up here on the stage. It's not just about that. It's about God getting his glory. And God loves to manifest his glory through all people. Through all of his people. So start with God, went to Nehemiah. But what we begin seeing here over the last couple chapters is Ezra reads the law. And everybody's like, oh my goodness, God, we're so sorry. We've seen that you've been reaching out to us, but we've not been reaching out to you. We've gone our own way. We repent. And that's as easy as that today. 
It's as easy, but yet it's so beautiful that even today we can just say, God, we know that your heart is for me. I just want to repent as we just did in this act of communion this morning. Say, no matter what's happened, no matter what the world has put on me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to approach your glory today by the blood of Jesus, through the blood of Jesus, and by his name. And so that's what they did. But now what we see beginning to happen is, is, is um, I'm not going to read all of chapter 10, 11, 12. It's a lot of names and a lot of thises and thats. But in verse 39, th- this is what happens. Because Nehemiah is now starting to say, my role's done. I've got to get everybody else to get in order so that we can see the glory of God come. And this is what it says. For the sons of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contributions of the grain, the new wine, the oil, to the chambers. There are the utensils of the sanctuary that, sorry, I'm having a hard time reading. The, okay, I need better glasses. The, that priests who are ministering. Okay, so, yeah, okay, keep going. The gatekeepers and the singers. Thus, we will not neglect the house of God. I'm going to read that one more time because that was really bad. For the sons of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contributions of the grain, the new wine, and the oil to the chambers. There are the utensils of the sanctuary that priests who are, for the priests who are ministering, the gatekeepers, and the singers. Thus, we will not neglect the house of our God. Now, this is kind of a summation for what we would then read is happening in, in chapters even 11 and 12 of Nehemiah. Okay? So, so, so what, is he, what is he talking about here? First thing is this. It's just like Gary shared this morning. There was a return of people to begin giving towards something that needed to happen in order for God to reach down to his people in the way that he was jealous for and for his people to reach back up towards him. And that was for people to begin, the people in the temple to begin receiving offerings so that they could restore temple worship. Because at the center of temple worship, at the center of temple worship is where we encounter God's glory. This is, this is important. But then they be, he starts talking about gatekeepers, and he starts talking about uh, priests and Levites and singers. And this is what I want to spend the rest of my time this morning talking about. This is important, and this is not to be overlooked. Because you'll see in the verses and the chapters that follow, you're seeing like all these names listed out, and Nehemiah is saying, okay, from this tribe of the, of the Levites here, we're going to take these singers, and we're going to put them in Jerusalem. And then we're going to take these gatekeepers from over here, and we're going to put them in Jerusalem. Then we're going to take these musicians from over here, and we're going to put them to, into Jerusalem. And where they're going to start bringing all of the offerings now that people are giving again, because there's been this restorative nature happening in the body of Christ then, and then we're going to get worship going again. But this is a big deal, because it's not just because they're, they're getting a temple going. This is a very specific kind of worship. And it's, it's, it's called by a couple different things. Some people call it the tabernacle of David. Some people call it Davidic worship. But in it is a key for the glory of God to be seen, not only in our lives as individuals, not only in this local church, but even in through the regions and the nations around us. Let me show you. So I'm going to spend the next few minutes, and we're going to walk through some scriptures here, and I want to show you what's happening. Because it's important, I believe, for, it was important for Nehemiah, and it was important for a lot of other people, and it's important for you and I as individuals in our families, but it's important for this church as this happy days begins to open up. Because the reality is, happy days could be opened up 
this church could continue to do other ministries and beautiful ministries that it's already doing at others. But without the glory of God, it's nothing. Without, without the presence of God, it's nothing. And I'm the first one to say, when Gary's up here, he's praying, he's going, we believe people are going to fall down as they're walking in the room. And maybe literally, maybe they're going to walk in and, and just go, what is going on here? Yes and amen. But that's not going to happen because, you know, everybody knew exactly how to put the right thing together and buy the right TVs and do all that, and it was a great idea. It's going to happen because we keep the first thing first. Do you hear this? It's going to happen because we keep the first thing first first. So what was Davidic worship? What was Nehemiah doing here? Why was it so important to put singers and musicians back in? Well, here's what's going on. In verse 39 again, he says, thus we will not neglect the house of God. You see, all of us know who David is, or most of us in here would, but if you don't, David caught something early on. He was just a young boy. He was a, he was a shepherd, but we know through scripture that he was a worshiper. And David, even in his young life as a worshiper, as he was watching sheep, taking care of them, he would worship and, and, and God. He, he was an instrumentalist. We know this, right? But we know that there was things that God began to teach him even early on through his worship, through him reaching out towards God and God reaching down towards him and touching him. That amazing things began to happen, like he was able to take on a bear. He was able to take upon, out, uh, take upon a lion all by himself. He was able to kill a giant with stones. Now, and there's a lot of sermons that have been preached around about all that kind of stuff. But as we look at the entirety of David's life, we see that there was something about his life that was captured in the place of intimacy and worship. You know, one of his first roles before he was even king was to what? Play musical instruments in front of Saul, who was tormented by the enemy. How many people in this in this in, in, in the world around us, are tormented constantly by the enemy. You see, David was cultivating a place of worship. He was cultivating a place, an atmosphere, if you will, where what's going on in heaven started to come and manifest on earth. And what does the scripture tell us began to happen for Saul? That Saul would get relief, or the demons, if you will, would flee people, him, when there was a proper place of God's glory established. Now, again, I'm not going to go through all of David's life, but what we see in David's life is interesting. There's, there, there's several psalms that we could read, you know, that were written by David, and we catch a glimpse of his heart. One of my favorites is Psalm 27. One thing I ask, one thing I seek, what? That I could dwell in your temple. What does that mean? Be in your midst. Right? That I can behold your beauty, that I can see you, that I could reach out and actually touch your glory. Well, I think because that was David's heart, God began to show him something new that hadn't been done up to this point. Let me explain. What is David's tabernacle? Well, first and foremost, David's tabernacle or David's tent was literally a tent. While David was king, he saw God's heart and that God was jealous for his glory to be established over his people. And so that God could get what he wanted. And that was to be amongst his people. So what did he do? He took the Ark of the Covenant, the, the very object that represented the resting place of God, the mercy seat of God. And he put it into a tent. But check this out. There was no veil there. Remember Moses? When God said, hey, I want you to come and meet with me. Again, God loves the tent of meeting. He loves to meet with us. 
he, he had to, they had to put a veil there. They had to go through the sacrifices, and only the priest could enter in once a year and all this kind of stuff, and they could enter into God's presence. But David saw a glimpse of God's heart as a worshiper. Before he was a king, he had this priestly ministry to God, loving him, worshiping him, first love, loving the Lord with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? And, 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 so, and so as he was doing this, he, he sent up a tent, put God's presence at the center of his kingship. He put it at the center of the whole um, nation of Israel, and he hired musicians. He hired singers. He hired people to just give thanks. He hired people to praise God, and the scriptures have it. I have all the notes right here. I'm not going to have time to go through all of this. It's all in First Chronicles, or in Second Chronicles. I've got all the chapters here. If you want my notes after this, I'll give them to you. I just, just It's all in here. He hired 4,000 musicians, and he put them in shifts to worship God day and night continually during his reign. That had never been done before. You see, what happens when a guy like David or a, a person like you and me, when we reach out towards God, he begins to show us his heart. You know, and, and, and this, is, this is a beautiful thing because Jesus, as, as the disciples started hanging out with Jesus, they started to catch his heart a little bit. And what's the one question that they asked Jesus that he responded to with a real answer? Jesus teaches how to pray. Because they were seeing that Jesus was connecting and reaching out and grabbing hold of God's heart in ways that they had never watched another human do before. And they're watching God touch Jesus and Jesus doing amazing things that they knew only God could do. And they'd never seen anybody do that before. And they connected it to this intimacy, this place of worship and prayer between Jesus and his father. So they said, how do we pray? And one of the first things that Jesus says is, go, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in the place of worship and prayer, we begin to get a glimpse of what's happening up here in heaven so that we can bring it down here on earth. Why? Where's God? Yes, he's everywhere, but where's God? God's in the heavenlies. Where does he want to be? With his people. Why? Because he wants to dwell with them. Why would we pray, God's, would your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Because God wants to be with his people. So I believe somewhere along the way when David was praying the prayers, there's one thing I ask, there's one thing I seek. As a deer pants forth for streams of water, so my soul longs for you, God. When can I come before you? And on so many others that God opened his eyes. And here's, why I think, here's what I think happened. Because we see in Revelation 4 and chapter 5 the throne room of heaven. We see a, a glimpse of heaven. And within that glimpse, what do we see? Everybody ever, anyone ever heard of the 24 elders? Yeah? You see, God chose to put his throne right in the center of what? A big worship service. Because what's going on before the throne room of God right now? Continual night and day worship. Myriads, thousands upon thousands of angels worshiping him day and night. How many singers and worshipers did David employ to sing around the presence of God on earth as it is in heaven? 4,000 or more, the Bible tells us. Then there was 24 elders around the throne, Revelation 4 and 5 tells us. If you look in 1 Chronicles, we see that David employed 24 elders 
to make groups, uh, two, or to make two different groups each, to put them in rhythms to begin to worship God continually, 24 hours a day, night and day, without stopping to worship. All of a sudden you start scratching your head and going, man, maybe David saw something. Maybe David caught a glimpse of the glory of God, and he wanted it so bad. Even from the time that he was a young man as a shepherd, he caught something of God's heart in the place of worship. And I'm not just talking about songs and music, though that's an important part of what, uh, specifically what we're talking about here. Even what Nehemiah is doing here, he's saying, we've got to get back to this place where we grab a hold of God's heart, and God grabs a hold of ours, and he shows up in glory and power. You see what I'm saying? So this is what David did. He hired these people to do this. And, 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 and with no veil. And so D David, for years, for at least 33 years, there was unstopped worship and praise, thanksgiving. The scripture even tells us there was a prophetic ministry going on in that. There's a beautiful passage, the one that I like. A lot of people aren't familiar with it. David says, well, God says to David, now tell them to prophesy with their lyres, their harps, and their cymbals. How many of you know that your instruments can prophesy? And not only that, but he was employing prophets to stand before the Lord, to prophesy to the Lord, and then to prophesy to people. Why was David so successful as a king? Well, there's a lot of different reasons. But what was the, what was the phrase we always like to use about David? He was what? A man after God's own heart. He was a man after God's heart. What's God's heart? I want to dwell with my people. I want to dwell with my people. I love them so much. I want to be with them. That's how much he loves us. And David caught a glimpse of that love. He caught a glimpse of God's heart somewhere in his life. And he goes, God, what, what, what you're doing in heaven right there, like there's people just worshiping you and they love these, these angelic things and creatures and things with eyes all over them. They caught a glimpse of you. And everything's perfect there. But what your heart is, God, is to be right here. So how can I mimic what's going on up there? Because we know you love that, but you want to do it here. And you see, what began to happen was David's kingdom was the, most, was the first, like, actual uh, successful kingdom that Israel had ever had. And it's because he caught a glimpse of God's glory. And, he, and, and then God said, oh, now there's one I can trust. My eyes are looking to and fro to support, strongly support those who are righteous, who get my heart. And he goes, I want to be with them because they get my heart. And so what happens? The, 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 that, that, whole, that whole era, they were financially secure. They were uh, militarily. They wiped out everybody they needed to wipe out. It wasn't perfect. No one's perfect. I'm not perfect. But the heart and the desire was set on one thing. And from that place, then David led. From that place, David would go and inquire of the Lord from the place of his presence, of his glory, being manifested amongst them. And from that place, then, he got strategy. He got wisdom to do the things that he was supposed to do. Does this make sense what the tabernacle of David is? Here's why it's so important. There's so much more. There's so much more. Um, look at this. This is cool. Historically in the Bible, every time after the Davidic, after David was king and there was a following away, every time that there was a king then who reinstated 
this, the tabernacle of David, which was what? A heart of worship and prayer nonstop for the glory of God. Every time that the nation of Israel reinstated it, renewal, revival, awakening took place. I want to show you. Solomon, 2 Chronicles 8.14, David's son. He combined night and day worship with Moses' sacrificial system of worship, and they enjoyed abundant financial and spiritual blessing from the Lord. Many times the glory of God would manifest in a visible cloud, glory cloud in the temple. 2 Chronicles chapter 5. And through that, then, God released wisdom, insight, and power to establish a kingdom that I don't think has ever been seen before on earth as it was in heaven. Because not only was the center of Solomon's worship, and Solomon carried on and kept the singers and the musicians and the worshipers praising God, but then a wisdom was released. And what do we know about Solomon? People, the nations of the world came to him and said, why are you so successful? Why do you have all of this? And he was probably able to point, you go, you know what? See that prayer room right down there? It's called the temple of God. That's why we're successful. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with him. Because see, when you and I, I'm going to start bringing this down. I'm going to keep going through some of the history here. But when you and I catch a glimpse of God's heart, and the way that we do that, listen, isn't by trying harder. But it, it, first, it's coming to the realization that God can't get enough of wanting to be with us. Did you hear that yet this morning? Have you, have you heard me say and remind you this morning that God wants to dwell with you deeply, intimately, and passionately? And he's jealous for his glory to be manifested in your life specifically. So your own personal takeaway is, what is am I cultivating a place where God and I can meet, where heaven can come into this temple? Where this temple is first and foremost centered on the glory of God and out of who he is and what he's done for me. And then I walk out of that place. I, it's hard not to walk in humility out of that place. It's hard not to walk under his leadership in that place. It's hard not to walk out under anything else when we get a touch of his glory. But it comes when we just open up ourselves and say, God, I want to receive your love. I want to receive your love afresh and anew today. And I don't want to look elsewhere for it. Because you see what happens in others in, along the way here, what we're going to see is what happened in the temple in Israel. Sometimes they even shut the temple down. They put idols in there. They were looking for other things in place of the glory of God. And it shut everything else down. It shut them down personally, but it shut the whole nation down as well. Jehoshaphat was under attack. What did he do as a king? He put the Davidic strategy of sending singers and musicians ahead of the army. They won, and a spiritual awakening uh, was ignited in Israel after that. Joash, 2 Chronicles 24, he was contending against Baal worship led by Jezebel's daughter. He cleansed the temple from idolatry and restored Davidic worship. He prioritized offerings, releasing the priesthood to minister before the Lord in night and day worship and prayer. They experienced a season of spiritual renewal, 2 Kings 11-12. Hezekiah did the exact same thing. In his day, this was it, the temple was actually shut. They, the, the people of God had shut the doors of the temple. No longer access to God. Beloved, is your heart shut? Is there any part of your heart that's shut towards the Lord? Guess what? Because of God's love and relentless pursuit and his desire to want to dwell with you, if you just open it up, he will come rushing right back in. 
And when we talk about, God, what are you doing in this church? What are you doing in, what do you want to do with, with, with happy days, right? And we say, God, we want your glory to flood. We want your glory to flood. How do we see that happen? By continually coming back, even to that place. If we call it Davidic worship, I don't care what you call it. But when we center our hearts right at the very throne room of God and we see who he is, then God begins to manifest his glory amongst us. So Hezekiah did the same thing. He realized that, the, that Judah's problems were directly connected to their abandonment of worship to God. So he reopened the temple. He restored daily sacrifice, uh, sacrifices. He reinstituted the singers and the musicians to worship before the Lord night and day. And as a result, the exper- they experienced prosperity, military victory, and national repentance. Josiah, same story led to a great reformation, and then they led into a season of revival and an outpouring of mercy mercy rather than judgment when he reinstated Davidic worship. Zerubbabel, after 70 years of captivity in Babylon, the people of God returned to Jerusalem. The temple was rebuilt, uh, and Davidic worship was prioritized. As long as they had the Davidic mandate in place, they prospered and were victorious. Nehemiah, chapter 10 through 12. Seventy years after Zerubbabel, night and worship, night and day worship failed because they did not have the, listen to this, financial system in place to fund the Levites to work in the temple to worship God. But Nehemiah reinstated the offerings and then reinstated Davidic worship. In Amos chapter 9 verses 11 the Lord is prophesying through the prophet, and he says, in those last days, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. Did you hear that? In Amos chapter 9, the Lord was prophesying, prophesying and said, in those days, I will restore the tabernacle of David. This is not just a good idea. It's not just a great teaching. This is God's heart. And then we look at Acts chapter 15. This is it, and I'm, I'm, I'm done. Okay. In Acts chapter 15, there's a, there's a whole Jerusalem council going on, okay? And people are like, those people, they're coming to know Jesus. I don't know if that's allowed. Those people are unclean people, those Gentiles, right? And so they're, they're sitting around, they're talking, but they're hearing all these testimonies from all these guys coming back, and Paul and Barnabas and all these other people, like, look at the amazing things that God's doing, all the signs and wonders, all that kind of stuff. And then James stands up, and he said, brethren, I think I know what's going on. And he quotes Amos 9-11. He said, in those last days, God said he would restore the tabernacle of David. Actually, I want to read it to you because it's important. Here it is. After they had uh, stopped speaking, James answered, saying, brethren, listen to me. Simeon, who has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name, with this the words of the prophets agree. Just as it is written, and this is where he quotes Amos 9-11, after these things I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Why is the tabernacle of David and the restoration of it so important in this hour? Because it has to do with the global harvest of the world. And I could go on and on and on. I don't have the time for it today. But right now we are seeing in our, in our time 
a restoration of night and day worship and prayer. It looks different than back then. We've experienced an incredible worship movement over the last 20 or 30, 40 years. Songs being written like every day. New songs, beautiful songs, a re-energizing of, of people to pray, to pray without ceasing, ceasing as Thessalonians tells us. A, a, a reorientation of first love ministry, of loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it's not just in setting aside specific time to worship and prayer. I would say it is. But it's also about how we live our lives. Because when we get a glimpse of God's heart and we keep that at the center of everything that we are, then God becomes, begins to move. And just like I showed you biblical examples of, he does a restorative work in our life, a renewal in our life. And if there's a group of people that would say, I'm in together, he begins bringing reformation, revival, awakening, even to specific regions and nations. When they catch a glimpse of God's heart, and they say, we will prioritize his glory here. That's what's going on in Nehemiah chapter 10, 11, and 12. That's why it's important not to, 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 to read over those passages of, well, he appointed these singers and these musicians to do this, and they're taking the grain offerings and doing that. No, what's Nehemiah know? Nehemiah knows that at the heart of God, God wants to dwell with his people. So what do we do? We position ourselves to worship him with every single thing that we've got. We open up every door of our life, of this temple that we have, in order for him to flood in and touch us with love, with grace, forgiveness, power, wisdom, everything that we need in order to see his glory manifested. I'm so encouraged that you guys have been having these glor glory nights recently here. And I would encourage you, whether it's here or whether it's something that's organized in the church or not, Position yourself for glory nights and days in your own home. Center yourself around this. This is a biblical, this is a biblical blueprint. If you want to know the strategies of heaven, the, the, the tabernacle of David has laid something before us that's absolutely beautiful, that's been replicated over and over again. And can I remind you of a, of a more recent, even though it's a long time ago, um, example of this? Right down the road in Bangor. Com Comgall, am I saying that correctly? A, uh, a, a direct, I think he was a direct disciple of Patrick. I, I don't know the whole story, but somehow he got a glimpse of this. And, you know, drive east of here and you hit Bangor, right? You guys have all been there. I've been there a couple times. And if you go to the, um, I don't remember what it's called, the Bangor monastery there's huh abby thank you you can go read about all of this there but but you know that they had they had i think it was three thousand monks and they organized them in shifts and good history tells us that for around 300 years they prayed they worshiped they gave thanks non-stop that's even through the wee hours night for over 300 years of worship unto god and you know what came out of that? A beautiful, beautiful move, not only here in Ireland, but it was the beginning and the launch of a missionary movement that re-evangelized the rest of Europe. And I've got a whole lot more examples in my notes, and I don't have time to read them to you. 
of when individuals or groups of people decide to say, God, I'm going to go, I'm going to run after you with everything I got. I'm going to worship you like I've never worshiped you before. I'm, I'm going to set aside. Guys, I'll be honest. I was just praying this week, even before I started working on this. And I was just saying, God, I need a new rhythm of prayer. I just feel it in my heart. I need a new rhythm of prayer. I've just kind of gotten stagnant. And, 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 and that's okay. Because I know that was not me. My natural inclination isn't to go, God, give me a new rhythm of prayer. That's the Holy Spirit. And I think the same voice and whispers for all of us going, God's wooing us. God's saying, I want to be with you. Well, and, and we're so reminded even by the promises, in his presence is what? The fullness of joy. And in his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And it, it all ends up with his glory being released to people that have yet to taste it. That's why it's important for you and for this body to continue to keep the first thing first. Because then I know people are going to have encounters. Because it's God's heart. He wants to dwell with people. And I know it's going to happen. Because I know you guys are already there. But my prayer is that as an encouragement to you guys this morning. I, I can't believe how timely this book has been. Bless you guys for choosing Nehemiah, for listening to the Holy Spirit. Because I think it's been prophetic over and over again, Gary. You and Greg and whoever else came up with it. It's timely. So, I just want to bless you. I think the guys, you guys got one? Yeah, they got, these guys got one more song. Why don't the singers and musicians come on up? As they do, let's pray. God, we, um, we just come before you right now. And uh, again, I'm reminded with the first passage I read this, this morning. Thus, we will not neglect the house of God. Nehemiah said. And Lord, I want to make that really, really personal right now. Because I feel like that's where actually, the, that's where it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be personal for us this morning. And God, I just want to repent right now. For myself. And also on behalf of, 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 the, of your people. God, for, for neglecting the house and the temple of the Lord. I, I confess, God, that there's so many other things that I um, put my attention toward some days and some seasons more than my own temple. And what I mean by that is my own place of encounter with you, my own place of worship with you, my own prioritization of, of using everything that I've got in order to prioritize your presence, to, to worship you, to encounter you. To, 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 to see you, to gaze upon your beauty. But God, I don't, I, I don't have any, I, I, there's no guilt and shame because God, I know your heart. I know your heart as it's been portrayed to us over and over again. Your heart is to be with us. And I just see, I just see the invitation is so there. Just, the Lord's just saying like, just, just give me an inch. That's all I need. Just open the door slightly to me, and I'll come in. I won't overwhelm you, but I will be with you, and I will take you to the, the very depths of my heart. I will take you to the, to the very depths of my being, because that's what I want to share with you. 
Because of the rest of the of eternity, we will be in worship of you, of gazing upon you, of, of, of getting a, a deeper glimpse of who you are. And you will have your reward, God. You will have what you want. It, there is a time coming, God, when you are going to be able to dwell with us fully. And we beckon that day. And just like the, ch- the church is to, is to pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. So that we can, we, can, we can walk into your very presence in such a profound way, without limitations of our flesh, without limitations of this earthly body, but God being fully renewed to see you perfectly, to enjoy your presence, to enjoy your joy, to enjoy your love without any hindrance at all. But God, we just recognize that that invitation is still open right now to us, and we don't want to miss it. God, we know you're jealous for your glory. God, make us jealous for it in our own lives as well. And God, I just pray that you would continue whatever you're doing with the restoration, as Acts 15 says, is the restoration of of the tabernacle of David, so that all the Gentiles may come to know your name. God, there's still so many people that don't know you. There's so many people that still in this community don't know you. There's nations and tribes and tongues and people that have yet to even hear the good news of Jesus yet. So God, even in that place of your presence, we pray, God, send forth workers. Send forth me to carry your presence with power, with wisdom, with humility. God, to see your glory, to see your desire manifested for you to dwell with people in every tribe, tongue, tongue, and nation. But God, I thank you for Nehemiah. I thank you for his leadership. I thank you that he was one that saw into heaven, saw into his, his fathers before him and said, man, they tapped into something here that we cannot miss. And it's centralizing worship to you. So God, may we never stray. May this body never stray. May your bride never stray. God, Holy Spirit, keep us, keep us lit. <laughs> keep us lit. Keep us on fire. We surrender ourselves afresh to you, anew today. And God, we look forward to seeing your glory manifested even today and this week like we've never experienced before. Release signs and wonders. God, miracles, power. God, because where those things are, there you're manifesting your glory. We love you. We honor you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.